This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Hey, it's Clint Coons here from Anderson Business Advisors. And in this episode, I am going to be talking to Dr. Param Bala, CEO of Generational Wealth MD. We're going to be talking about how you can get started in real estate, how you make that mental mind shift from working W-2 job, going out there and putting your wealth into real estate to, to build passive income that can last for multiple generations. She's someone I've known for many years. She's been, she's an expert in her field. Not only is she a doctor, she was able to make that shift from being the W-2 grinder to going out there and building sustainable wealth through real estate. And so she's going to be sharing with us those secrets, how to make that shift. And also we're going to be talking about the market and the things that you should be looking at right now, because we know this market is in flux and there's different opportunities here in 2023 that did not exist in 2021 or 2022. And you got to be on the lookout for those types of things if you want to build a sustainable portfolio. Without further ado, I want to welcome Dr. Bala. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Clint. So excited to be on here. You know, it's great having you. It's something I've been wanting to get you, I've been wanting to get you on here for a while now because just the way you've gone about this whole approach, which I think is unique because a lot of people, when they go to school and they get an education and they get trapped into this mindset that, Hey, I'm going to work and trade my time for money. And they never seem to get out of that. And here they are. I have a good friend. He's a doctor and he's been practicing now for 15 years and he makes great income, but he's not building wealth. And that's a problem. So why don't you tell us your backstory and how you got started on this path to where you are today? So I think my story is similar to probably other guests you've had on the podcast where anyone who gets started in real estate investing, we all start with the same mindset. Uh, our job is supposed to be financial security. And so I worked till I was, I, I studied till I was 30, 30. I started working as a physician, multiple six figure income. You know, it, it seems like you're super successful on the outside. I had the million dollar home, um, you know, 12 weeks vacation. You know, you think you're all set. But you're uncomfortable because you don't really have control over your time. You know, maternity leave was three to four weeks. It was never enough. My dad was uh, it was diagnosed with cancer. I didn't have too much time to spend with him. You know, I got to spend a few weeks with him, but I wanted more. But it's still not to the point where you're thinking about making a shift. And, you know, you're OK with working till you're 60, following the traditional retirement model. Off, that seems OK. I think for me, the shift happened when I went through there was a merger at work, like a rough career transition. And, um, you know, the terms didn't make sense. So that I pivoted. And there was a six month period where I was between jobs. And that's when I actually started looking at my numbers, right? So you're like, okay, well, I, I have the money in the bank and I've been doing everything right. And I'm a high, you know, high income earner. What does that look like in terms of passive income? What if, you know, I, you know, I had to wait a little longer before I found something else that made sense. And that's when I realized that my passive income at that point was like, it was like, a, 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 I think 25% of what I needed to make ends meet. And that's when I really started started thinking about financial freedom, right? So, because unless I kept working, there was no way I was going to be able to sustain my lifestyle. That's where I think a lot of people read Rich Dad Poor Dad and it's like this whole mindset shift. So I started deep diving into financial independence numbers. Okay, what does that really mean? What does it look like with my stock portfolio? And I'd acquired a few rentals along the way, but I put it on the back burner because I didn't understand what was happening with them. I was looking at the cash flow and I said, you know, 500 bucks per dollar, what is this going to get me? And when I actually ran the numbers, I realized that with a third of my money, in the rentals, I was generating twice as much in passive income compared to 
the stock market because equity had built up over time, right? And mm-hmm. at that point, I was just doing turnkey buy and hold. I would just buy it, have a property manager, you know, rent it out to someone. It was just, they, I wasn't even doing anything fancy. And so I came up with a plan. I said, okay, if this ever happens to me again, I don't want to be in this position. So within the next three years, I'm just going to amp up, you know, I'm going to invest in real estate. Um, and then as I started reading and learning more. I learned about rehabs, adding value, short-term rentals, mid-term rentals, you know, saving multiple six figures on in taxes. And what happened then is that, you know, I expected to have this linear path. And within a year, I kind of hit financial freedom. I It took off and I was 41. I uh, That was a year after I made the decision. And I said, okay, I'm going down to a day a week in medicine because my kids are little and I have the freedom to do it. And I just want to take advantage of it. And, and that's what I did. And so, um, and, and, you know, that was my pivoting point. And that's when I built out the community because people don't really think about it as a game of returns, right? You think about the stock market, okay, that's what you're supposed to do. What you don't realize is that you're trapped in the 4% safe withdrawal world, which means that to even get $100,000 of passive income from that portfolio, you need that, that portfolio needs to be two and a half million dollars, right? And it takes years, decades to get there. Real estate is completely different. Your returns are anywhere from 20% for a, you know, you know, just buy and hold kind of thing all the way up to, you know, some of our members get 200% returns in year one from short-term rentals. And so when you factor that in, that compresses that, that time to financial freedom from three decades to, you know, two to three short years, if you want it to be. So you kind of need to decide for me, that was the pivotal point. It was like, okay, do I want to keep doing this for another 17, 20 years? My number, I use a retirement calculator and we built one out and I can share that resource. But my number was 17 years. If I kept investing in the stock market, it would take me 17 years to get to financial freedom. And I did it in a year with real estate. So, so that was the mindset shift for me. Okay. That's what made me think about, made me realize that I had to think about things differently. Yeah, but for a lot of people, wouldn't you say that it's hard to make that? Because we can always find excuses, right? Oh, I don't have the money to do that, or uh, I don't have the uh, the properties are not near me, so so that's not going to work. So, what do you typically find are some of the reasons why people don't go out there and start investing more? Uh, so I think the four big things are always going to be, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. It's super risky. And so I don't want to do this. And then I don't have the knowledge and I don't have the teams, right? So those are the, those are the big ones. And um, we could break each of those down. Um, yeah. I don't have the time. It's always going to be about prioritizing time because what you're doing when you go to work every day is that trading time for money when you're building wealth. You do it up front, but then it's saving you tons of time on the back end. So it's it's really understanding that whatever time you put in now is buying you exp- time exponentially, you know, in the future. And so it's about prioritizing time. I think you need to make it a priority. And even within real estate, it's a spectrum. You know this, Clint. I mean, you're you you have a huge portfolio. You could go in and you could be completely passive and invest in other people's deals, and all you do is bet the person you're investing the the deal in your money with. Go in there and just put it in there and sit and get mailbox money. You can do that with a buy and hold rental, right? If you know what you're doing, it does require a little more education. So a little more time intensive there. And then you can go in and be an entrepreneur and own like a portfolio of short-term rentals and manage it like a business. And the returns vary and there's a spectrum, but you can pick wherever you need to be depending on where you are at that stage of life. And then that's fluid, right? I know a lot of people in our community will go in and be super hands-on, super active in real estate because they want to get those $500,000 of clinical income sheltered from taxes year one. But the next year, you can go back to spending 15 minutes a month on real estate, and that's perfectly fine. It's totally fluid, but you do what you can. And even if you're super passive, your returns are about five times what you would be, what you would see with the, you know, with a stock portfolio. So you get to pick and choose. Same thing with money. 
there are strategies where, well, A, with real estate, you're leveraging other people's money, right? So uh, there are strategies where you have creative financing. You can go in with smaller a smaller amount of money. You can invest in markets where your down payment is less. So many ways to make your money go further and just educating yourself can help you get started. Um, and then as far as risk goes, I always say the stock market is so much riskier. That's why you have drawdown strategies. That's why you can't, you know, you when you're in withdrawal, you have to move your money out of stocks, which are more volatile into bonds. So a lot of that reduces your returns overall in real estate if you really know what you're doing there's so many ways to de-risk de-risk your strategy and we can like deep dive into that but it's all about educating yourself and then really knowing where you are on that spectrum and picking the thing that makes the most sense for you and there are options for everyone and even the most passive way of doing it um still gives you significantly higher returns which is why i feel like everyone has options it's more about really seeing the possibilities and and understanding what options are out there for makes sense for you okay so if Right now, I'm a busy professional or just a busy individual, and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you know, it makes sense. I would like to get into that and I can I can allocate the time. I'm going to make that commitment, but I need to get educated. So when you were starting out, where did you get that education? Because it's just I mean, you go out on Google, right, and and you can get a lot of conflicting information. Do you have some tips for people that are in that position right now, what they should be looking at to to start that process? Yeah, and that's a very valid point because you can get educated and you can keep learning, listening to podcasts, reading articles, and sometimes it feels scattered where it gets you into analysis paralysis and you're not really taking steps, right? And I think for me, I was fortunate. I had mentors. I had people who connected me to, who told me who were very open to talking about what their strategy was. They connected me to teams in great markets. I didn't understand what a landlord-friendly market was at that time, but fortunately, that's where they were investing. And so I did great, but it still took me a decade to figure out myself. The faster path is obviously tapping into communities. So this could be, you know, Facebook groups. It could be uh, communities online, like bigger pockets. Generational Wealth MDs are community in this is where these are spaces where there's education. It's a little more structured, uh, but uh, and then there are podcasts. So a lot of free content that you can get that you can that you have access to. But I personally feel, and I've been uh, I've been coached by other coaches. I've had coaches along the way, and I am a coach. And I realized that that structured training just again compresses the timeline it takes for you to learn everything you need to do and to learn to vet things. And so there are multiple ways of doing it, but staying in the right spaces, interacting with the right people, and possibly even getting into a more structured coaching program is a good way to kickstart things where you get the support system, you get the education, and then you have the network. Uh, I think another big barrier I see with people is uh, who do I trust and which markets do I go into and who are the right people to to assist me and am I doing this right? So being in the right space with the right community and maybe even in a program really helps with all of those things. Well, I mean, coaching, I think, is really important. And a lot of people sometimes are reluctant or hesitant to go the coaching route because real estate, you know, you can evaluate that pretty easily. You can get it appraised. You can see what the market's like in that area. Yeah. You're talking about a coach. I mean, how would you go about selecting a coach? What are some of the criteria someone should be looking at or the questions they should be asking to that coach to determine, is this person a right fit? Do they have the knowledge uh, about what I'm looking to do? And and the last thing is I always want to know, are they actually doing it? 
Exactly. You're absolutely right. And you don't necessarily always need a coach. Um, Clint, it could be a mentor, right? Someone who's done this, who's willing to help you do it. So if you have, I always say piggyback onto friends and family who've done it, piggyback onto the, onto their, you know, their teams, their systems. You can ask for references. You can learn from them and have them take a look at your deals. That's, that's obviously a, a really good way of doing it. But if you are looking for a specific coach, then I would look to see what their track record is. Have they done this themselves and how successful they've been and look at social proof of what are their, what are the, what is the, how are their clients performing? What are their results? And then I, I think really a big part of this is also having the right networks. We always, we have agent networks throughout the country for long-term and short-term rentals because those are two different animals. So are they able to connect you to those people? To, uh, I mean, we work with you, Clint, as far as Anderson Advisors, because, you know, with asset protection, you know, everyone needs assistance with that. We need to be connected to real estate savvy CPAs. So really have finding a community where they're able to also give you that support system because all of that is really going to be critical in your journey. And so, yeah, so seeing what, they've achieved, um, how they're growing, what the, what the students are doing. And then seeing if they can actually, actually connect you to all of those people who are, help you form your team, because that's a big part of real estate investing. Okay. So I'm looking, or maybe I have some experience, or I'm going to go out there and I'm going to start looking for a team or a coach to help me. Now, the question comes up a lot right now is what we talked about in the opening. Hey, the market's been changing. What are you seeing and what are you doing differently right now than you did last year? Yeah, so that's a great question because the same strategy that worked two years ago is not going to work right now. Interest rates are super high. I think uh, the and then because inventory is so low because people are still sitting on properties and prices haven't really calibrated right with the interest rates going up. So you're in this situation where you have high interest rates, prices are high, and there's really no transaction volume. I mean, very low transaction volume. So you need to be competitive, but you also want to stick to your criteria. So I like to break it up into three different things, right? So you have to have criteria about what you're going to buy, and it has to be very strict and you need to stick to it because you want to make the right decisions. And that you have to have the ability to hold because like in the long term, real estate will always do well. It's just that you, are you in a position to weather market cycles? And then finally, it's like controlling what you can control. So we can break it down. As far as buying, again, the single family space and multifamily is very different, especially from a lending perspective. And so that's going to look different. The similarities are going to be you want to buy properties if you can, if they're, that they're, that are discounted. So you have that built-in buffer in terms of equity. Uh, you want to buy for the long term. Um, this, I don't think this is the environment to be doing flips or have a short-term strategy where you're trying to enter and exit within two years. So everything we're looking to do, something we would be willing to hold on for five to seven to 10 years if we needed to. So that's going to be important on the buying side. Buying properties at cash flow day one is going to be really important. When we underwrite for short-term rentals, it's the same thing. Yes, interest rates have gone up, but we're always stress testing and making sure that even under worst case scenarios, you want to buy something that's cash flowing. That gives you the ability to, to hold a property. I think that's important. With the larger multifamily properties, what we've been doing is like it's a flight to safety. We're buying more class A minus properties cash flowing day one. We're buying assets that, uh, you know, have the right kind of debt on them. So in the right markets, right? Market selection is going to be super critical. You know, this real estate is, is, is hyper local. Every market performs differently in, in during, you know, different market cycles. So buying the right property, the ability to hold is going to depend on having the right debt and really stress testing your deals to make sure what if revenues drop 10%, you know, with short-term rentals, if if occupancy is dropping 10% and my ADR is dropping 10%, am I, is it still going to be cash flow positive, right? And really only settling for properties where that makes sense. We sometimes have people will come and say, well, I'm going to save 
multiple six figures on taxes with this property. The numbers don't really make sense, but that's okay. And I was like, no, that's not okay because it's not, you know, you can't let the tax tail wag the dog. So the numbers absolutely have to make sense. We're constantly stress testing deals. And, you know, for the listeners who are listening, if you're looking for calculators, we have them on our website, generationalwealthmd.com in the resources section. Definitely check it out. But you really want to be plugging everything in, factoring everything when you're making making those decisions. That's going to be super important. Um, and then in the multifamily space, as far as, so that's where you have to be super careful about the debt you take because you have lender requirements, DSCR, um, and you want to make sure that even when you're stress testing those those deals, you're hitting those DSCR requirements, you're going to be able to hold on to the property. We're looking at fixed agency debt whenever possible because that that's safe as opposed to going for bridge debt, not looking at those deeper value add deals over there, but getting the right debt and really being able to stress test your properties and then controlling what you can control. We can't control market prices, right? But what we do know is that even in, you know, during uh, the worst cycles, Rents don't, they drop by maybe 10% in the strong, in, you know, national historic numbers show that for, for the hospitality sector and for long-term rentals, rents drop by, they drop by 5% and 4% in 08 and 09. And that's about it before they started going back up, right? So as long as, you know, we can't control market prices, but as long as you have properties where you have stress tested them, you go in and then you control the things that you can control. So if you can tap into advanced tax strategies, that's something a lot of our um, high net worth investors do. You can shelter multiple six figures of income from taxes. That's something that gives you that additional buffer, which is like a cash reserve that you can hold on to, which again, gives you the ability to hold on to that property. So that's for um, tax strategies. The other thing is going in and rehabbing or reducing your expenses, increasing your income in any other way possible. Do you want to shift to a lot of our members who used to do long-term holds now are doing maybe a midterm rental model where their, you know, their cash flow goes up, you know, it's, it's 4x what it would be with a typical long-term rental model. It gives them the ability to go in and still get those returns, but they've shifted their strategy, right? So pivots in strategy where you can control income and it isn't necessarily dependent on the market cycle. So that that's how I like to look at it, right? What are you buying? Can you hold the property? And what can you control? Because the market cycles are out of your control, but what can you control to make this still a, a valuable investment proposition? You talked about properties and the interest rates and things like that. I read a report the other day and I forget who released it, but it was on maybe 20 markets and it showed of these 20 markets, 18 of them, it was still cheaper to rent than it is to buy. So they're really strong rental markets. And it's, you know, kind of runs counterintuitive. People think, well, everything's going down. It's really not because interest rates went up. As you stated, prices haven't dropped. So people can't afford those homes. Yeah. So the rental markets are strong uh, in a lot of different markets. And so you you definitely want to look at your numbers and do the research like you mentioned when it comes to evaluating real estate. So then you talked about midterms, and I think that's important as well, because what you mentioned, I hope people caught this, is that if you buy a property, you're going to hold it long term. Great. That's your strategy. But if you find that the market, you could optimize the market by choosing a different strategy, learning about midterm rentals. And don't you teach some of that as well and and, and provide guidance on that? We do. I feel like when you are a real estate investor, I think that you kind of need to understand all the different options out there. So we coach on short-term, mid-term, and long-term rentals. And we always say, especially for our short-term rental investors are investing in metro markets, like those are residential cities. Regulations are changing all the time. So when you go in, you need to know your exit options and midterm rentals are a great exit option. And we also make sure they run numbers to ensure that that property can function as a long-term rental and at least break even. So those are your exit options, especially for short-term rentals in a, in a metro market. So I feel like when you go in, it's good to have, to have knowledge and understanding of all of those different things. In addition to, you know, large multifamily, because we have people who buy four units and run two of them as short-term rentals, right? So a real estate is entirely is essentially the spectrum where you have you know the highest returns 
with the highest effort that you're putting in, maybe higher risk. And then the, the other end of the spectrum is low, lower returns, lower risk and lower effort. And you can pick and choose and you can modify where you want to be at, at different times. But knowing your options and understanding that I think is really helpful. So, yeah. So if I'm an investor and I'm thinking about getting into it, is there certain things you would say, all right, these are the two things that would probably produce for you in 2023 the, the greatest impact as far as investing is concerned that you should be focused on? Well, I would say 2023 is going to be, well, so it depends, right? Single family versus multifamily. Well, multifamily debt, focusing on debt is going to be really important. You want to make sure you're getting the right debt. And then market selection is something you cannot ignore in, in any market cycle, especially now, right? With short-term rentals, again, you want to pick markets where regulations are favorable and seasonality is less, or you ha- you can expect higher occupancy. So market selection is going to be super critical. But I feel like even with with long term rentals, multifamily picking markets that are seeing that have strong demographics like in migration, a great job growth, those markets tend to really be more recession resilient. So picking the right market and the debt aspect, I would say, are also super important. Are there certain resources that you like to use when it comes to evaluating markets that are out there that people should consider? Well, citydata.com gives helps you if you're doing market research. I'm actually coming out with an ebook with a checklist for due diligence. But when, you, when you're looking for, uh, you know, job growth, median household income, uh, population growth over time, I think citydata is a great resource to grab that information for any any submarket that you're looking at. When's that ebook coming out? Well, that's for our syndication investors. And I just want them to, you know, like, I know you're going with a sponsor, but just are you doing your own due diligence? Does this meet your criteria? Um, sometime next month, July, the target it was supposed to come out this month, but we're working on it, trying to perfect it and, and make it really good. But yeah. Well, great. Well, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to get that link from me if you're willing to share it and we'll make sure. Absolutely. That, yeah. That Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, another great resource is that retirement calculator I was talking about, Clint, because it really, mm-hmm. it, I would say that's how people make a shift, right? They never go into real estate because they want to own real estate. They go into real estate because they want to buy back their time and have control over their time and their money. And so I just say, we have a financial independence worksheet, which I say, go plug your numbers in and just realize what you're doing right now and see, and then plug numbers in for if you started investing in real estate and it actually gives you the numbers that you would plug in. And that shift, I think, is like is pivotal to help people think about it differently. Is your community limited to just physician enrollment or if I'm a non-physician, can I be part of it? So I think... 75% of our community is physicians, but we have 25% of the people are non-physicians. Some of them are high income owners. Some of them are, are you know, so it's, it is open across the board to people. I think strategy wise, real estate is very, very similar. It depends on how much capital you have to invest sometimes and how much time you have. That's where the difference is. But we, we have a lot of physicians who probably only have 30 to $50,000 to invest and um, they may not have a lot of time. And so I, I think those are the t- key differences, but it is open to anyone who's interested in learning. Yeah, because that's important. I mean, you can also meet people who have funds, but not the time, and then yes. you can partner up on deals. Absolutely. And I think that's that's key because when you don't have time or the money, the, the, the next best thing is to find someone who has the, the complementary resource and then and JV with them, joint, they have a joint venture where you guys, you bring different things to the table. Absolutely. So what do you tell someone? What is the benefit of being part of community? What we, you know, because if they're sitting back going, well, how is it going to benefit me? What do you really gain out of that? So I've been part of multiple communities and it has completely transformed my life. So you are the, so when they say you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with, that is so true. 
because when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I th- did this, right? One one exercise is, okay, who are the five people you spend the most time with? Put Write them uh, right, right on their names and which quadrant do they fall into? And apart from my parents uh, who are also, well, they did work W2 jobs, but then they were also investors. They were the only people who were actually in the I bucket. Everybody else was, uh, was an employee in the E bucket. So you're not going to shift your thinking if you're surrounded by people who who cannot help you in your journey and uh, who may actually, you know, thrust their limiting beliefs upon you. So community is super important, not just for those, you know, for partnering with people, for thinking it's, it's, it's a whole mindset shift when you're surrounding yourself with different people. And then there's the education and then there's the ability to lean into people and then there's the mentorship. And so there's so many advantages to it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think the, the most important thing is surrounding you with people who are doing something similar. Otherwise you're going to get bogged down. So when you were, joining communities, what were some of, or was there a few things, mistakes that you made possibly in, in choosing the communities that you could share that people should be on the lookout for? I don't know if there were mistakes that I made, because I think from every community, you end up learning something, right? You learn how to do things right, or you learn how not to do things the wrong way. But uh, you, I think you outgrow communities at, after a certain point. So I would say if you've gotten to the point where you feel you aren't getting any, anything more from that community, you've, you know, you've plateaued in terms of your learning, maybe it's time to look out for a new community where you can take it to the next level. I think that's the only thing I have to say about that, Clint. So what are you investing in right now? So right now we are... Uh, we are just uh, opening up uh, another syndication opportunity where, uh, again, it's a, like I said, flight to safety class, A minus asset that's cash flowing in newer property, 3% loan assumption, which is excellent. So the numbers actually work, which is kind of hard to find in this market, but those are the only deals that were, it actually pencil out, pencils out where you can be super conservative. Capital preservation is key. And so we're, we're beginning to syndicate on that opportunity. And then in my personal portfolio, I'm looking at, um, uh, joint venture opportunities, just, um, networking with like-minded people where, uh, we complement each other and looking to scale in multifamily. Right. Well, you know, it's been great having you on. You dropped so many nuggets here that uh, people are listening. They're probably going to listen two or three times to this just to pull out of here the importance. And when I got out of here, you know, the, where the market's going, what you see there with the midterm rentals, changing the properties, finding communities, getting together with a coach as well, and really aligning yourselves with people who can add value to your growth so you can get out of at W-2 job and start building that passive income. Is there anything you'd like to leave in passing? I would just say, guys, uh, you're never going to be ready to start. You just have to start and just take that action. Um, and um, like I said, just take one little step today. If that is downloading that retirement calculator, do that. If that is joining a community of people who are investing in real estate, if that's what you want to do, do that. But just take one tiny step. And then before you know it, you'll be you'll be headed in the right direction. Awesome. So we're going to have the links to your website to check out the community, check out the retirement calculator. And you're going to give me that ebook as well. We're going to get that link in the show notes. So lots of resources. That's why we like bringing on people who deliver value to our listeners and definitely take advantage of what she's providing. Uh, all it's going to do for you is help move that needle in the right direction and help you build that passive income. I appreciate the fact that you took the time to be on here. I know you're very busy with your family, you're investing in your career. So I appreciate that you sharing all the information you did today. Thank you, Clint. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 